those moments like that song is talking about when we really connect with Jesus are so precious. Those are the moments that we long for. Those are the moments that we should search for. Too many times they're interrupted with their own agenda, aren't they? Yeah, I just started telling Lisa, just put up the slide because I always forget to dismiss. Just put it up there and they'll figure it out, you know. Hopefully we're given the opportunity for those little ones to have the same moments. That's one of our goals. So, Well, let's get into the word this morning. We're going to be in Daniel 7, and it's going to be a fun chapter. I'm just going to read through the whole chapter, and you're just going to understand it like you wouldn't believe. Verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and the visions passed through his mind, and he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of the dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man. And the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. It had three ribs in its mouth. Between its teeth, it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast. And this one looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. When I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. The horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and had a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set into place, and an ancient of days took a seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming forth uh, from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch. Because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, I kept looking up until the beast was slain, and its body devoured and thrown into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision... At night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one that was stand, one of those standing there and asked him his true, the true meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me an interpretation of these things. 
The four great beasts were four kingdoms that will rise from earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom that that the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and the most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Also wanted to know about the ten horns on his head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked most imposing than, than the others and that had eyes and mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was raging war against the saints and defeating them until the ancients of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And then time came when they, were, uh, they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings that will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and impress his saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be everlasting kingdom, and the rulers will worship over him and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was, triply, uh, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Okay, well, that was easy enough. Any questions? Yeah, wow. Daniel 7 is completely different than the first six chapters, isn't it? Yeah, the first six chapters, at least we could somewhat understand the majority of it. But a major change happens here, and it lasts all the way through the end of the book. These chapters deal with end times. Like I said, one through six were historical stories of Daniel and his friends and them standing up for what was right, them making a decision, this is how I'm going to live, and dealing with the consequences of saying, I live for the one true God. And there were consequences at times. But these stories made sense. And then suddenly we get to chapters 7 through 12, and we get, you know, we get stories by Daniel of his visions and these differences are, are major. I mean, chapters 1 through 6, all the meanings were revealed to Daniel. Someone had a dream. Hey, get Daniel. He can help. And even once, uh, Daniel tells the king uh, his own dream without the king telling him first. But now Daniel has a dream, and he doesn't understand it. And even once uh, or twice, he asks for help in understanding the dream in chapter 7. Now, one thing I want to be careful of as we look through these chapters 7 through 12, like we're going to hit it now, we're going to hit a Christmas series, and we'll come back in January and, and continue on. But one thing I want to be careful of is that we not forget chapters 1 through 6. Because then we can get all wrapped up in end times talk and end time thing and thinking about it and talking about it. But chapters 1 through 6 is like part 1, and then we move to chapter 2 you know, or part two, and we don't want to forget the first part. Chapter seven is related to the first six chapters, really in two different ways. 
It's still written in Aramaic. Uh, and you might remember in chapter 2, it changed from Hebrew. Daniel was writing in Hebrew, and he switched to Aramaic. And then at the end of this chapter, he's actually going to switch back to Hebrew. Why, we don't know. The scholars, they can debate it all they want, you know. Uh, but secondly, chapter 7 directly parallels to chapter 2. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream about the statue? And you had the four different parts in that statue, and the four parts represented four different eras in human history. So now Daniel in chapter 7 has a vision of the four beasts. And the four beasts are what? They're four kings or four kingdoms. Okay? Some of this we get. Some of it we're not. So I'm going to tell you what I think it is. But, but then we have a stone that, that we talked about in chapter 2 that came down and destroyed the four kingdoms. And then we'll have the Son of Man who, who will destroy everything and come to rule. And if we understand the messages in chapter 1 through 6, it will help us understand chapter 7 better. So what is the overall theme? Well, in Daniel 1, 1 verse 2, and verse 9, and verse 17, there's one phrase. And it's all, in Hebrew, it's all the same word. In our English translation, it's translated a little differently here and there. But one phrase, the Lord gave, or the Lord granted. Or the Lord permitted? Or the Lord delivered? God is in control. God permits. God grants. God delivers. He permitted the Hebrews to be taken from their land. And we say, well, that's of Satan. But God permitted it. Yes, the Babylonian kingdom was acting upon Satan's ways. And, you know, let's destroy the Jews. But they didn't destroy them. They brought them back and they said, let's change them. It was destroying them in a different way. But God permitted that to happen. God permitted Daniel to have favor and find favor. God delivered them knowledge. In fact, in, in Daniel 2, verse 20, it says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and light dwells with him. See, the point is, God is in control. In Daniel 3, we see the fiery furnace, and the king says, What God can save you? Our God whom we serve. What was what Daniel said, or, or the boys said, before they were thrown into the fire. Daniel 4.25, seven times will pass uh, by for you until you acknowledge the Most High as sovereign over the kingdom of men's and give them to anyone he wishes. This is Nebuchadnezzar before he, you know, when he didn't acknowledge God and God said, okay, well, seven times. In other words, seven years are going to go by and you're going to be acting like a cow out there eating the grass. And sure enough, that's what happened. And then he came to acknowledge God, and he received it all back. God is in control of our world. He is in control of our kingdoms. He is in control of the United States, even though we think it's a crazy world out there. He is in control of our town. He is in control over everything, and we better not forget that. He permits. He's ultimately in control. And he continues in chapter 7. Look at verse 6. After that I looked, and there before me was another great beast, 
one that looked like a leopard, and its back had its four wings uh, like those of a bird. The beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And verse 12, the other beasts had been stripped of the authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. So Daniel 7 begins what we like to call uh, an apocalypse. I can't even say the word apocalypse. Yeah, I can't even say it. My my mouth just doesn't work that way. Um, But it's a genre, it's a writing, it's a style that has to do with the future. Okay? Uh, You know, some of it we get, some of it we don't get at all. Uh, There's several places in the Bible that we come across this. Isaiah has four chapters, and Isaiah 24 through 27. Uh, A few, you know, of you in Ezekiel and Zechariah, and then Daniel. Even Matthew has a chapter, if my memory's correct, that deals with the future and stuff. And we kind of read it and we go, huh, okay, I sort of get that, but not really. But it means an unveiling or revelation of something hidden. Even the word apocalypse. See, there, I I said it finally. And you can, you know, or you could use the word revelation here. In fact, the book of the name of Revelation is an apocalypse, okay? That's what it's talking about. Um, You know, revelation is something hidden. And the primary goal of these books is to tell us what? God is in complete control over history. Even when it doesn't look like he is. We have evil kingdoms. Even today, we have evil kingdoms. Look at what China's doing. Look at what North Korea's doing. Look at what some of these others, uh, you know, for doing. Over in Africa, oftentimes you'll see Christian churches attacked, attacked, and attacked. Where, where different groups will come in and they'll just wipe out a whole church in a Sunday service. But these types of writings remind us, while something, you know, sometimes it may not look like it, God is in control. So it reveals to us something that reminds us that he is in control. Now, these revelations use a lot of imagery, a lot of kind of weird stuff, and and it's kind of difficult for us sometimes because we're not familiar with these type of imageries, you know, know, and all this kind of, it's a high level of symbolism on this, like the horns, it's a symbol of power. Um, Some of the stuff they would have understood, some of it they might not have got themselves. But God is called the Ancient of Days. Look at verse 9. It says, As I looked, thorns were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair on his head was like, uh, like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and the wheels were ablaze. I mean, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, our movie graphics just cannot do justice to that. But God is depicted as an older man. Is God an old man? No. No. He's forever. He, you know, he doesn't have an age. But he's, here he's, he's portrayed as, as a wise judge. And the books are opened and it is judgment day. It is like when Revelation when then Satan is depicted as a dragon with his, twel- uh, his, his tail just sweeping a third of the stars out of the sky. And up come from, from the sea comes a beast. These are symbolic images that convey messages to us. And we have to kind of grapple through them, you know, and think, well, what do they really mean? Therefore, what do they mean to us? We we see what they kind of mean for the future, but what do they mean to us? But the main purpose of the revelation is to comfort 
and uh, oppressed people with the revelation that God is in control. Have you ever felt oppressed? Have you ever gone through a time when you felt things were were pressing down on you and and you you felt like things are just completely out of control and you're like, Lord, where are you? I I need you. I I want you. It's just crazy. And God is sitting there going, I'm still in control because he is. So we only have so much time this morning, so we can only cover so much of this chapter And if you want to have a better understanding of Daniel 7, try to read Revelation 13 sometime this week in your your wonderful Thanksgiving uh, celebration time. You know, just pull out the Bible and read to everybody. Chapter 13, okay, maybe not, but you know what I mean. Uh, Take some time and read chapter 13. Uh, Basically, uh, verse 2 through 14, it is a description of the vision. You have one beast, two beasts. Three beasts and then four beasts. I mean, all of a sudden, and you got all these horns. And the vision climaxes in in verses 13 and 14. And the Son of Man is given authority over the kingdom. All these evil kings, all these evil empires. But it turns out for good for those who are in the righteous kingdom. We need to take comfort. We will be oppressed as Christians. The world is not for us. The world is against us. How do we know that? Because it started out in Genesis with Satan turning man against God and causing problems with that relationship. And we see it today. You can turn on any news channel and you will find somebody talking negative about Christians. You watch it. I mean, you know, we revere movie stars. I don't know why. They're people who read lines, okay? And they act it out. But we revere them. You get them talking about Christians? Oh, man. The world is not for us. It is against us. It is evil. But we need to take comfort. Because the Son of Man establishes a kingdom in the end that will never end. We also notice that, that we have two interpretations. In Daniel 15, or verse uh, 15 and 16, Daniel says, I don't get it. Help me. So the angel gives him verse 18. And it says, But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. So as Christians, we will be oppressed. There will be those who die for the faith. They will be martyred. But in the end, they will reign with God and Jesus forever and ever. So we need to take heart because there's good news. We, the saints, receive the kingdom. And then in verse 26, we get another interpretation. It says, but the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I, but I kept the matter to myself. Yeah, I don't think, if I had a dream like this, if I'd be going out and telling people either, you know? So we get to the moral of the story. God is in control, and it will bring forth good things for his people, and he will set up an everlasting kingdom, and he will hand it over to us. So let's get back to the beast now. Who are they? 
We had these four bizarre creatures. Wouldn't you call them bizarre? I'd call them bizarre. You know, mutants, whatever you want to call them. They're horrifying. They're hybrids. I mean, these are terrifying beasts, and we think, well, how could this happen? It could, I mean, there, there's things going on that we don't understand because we're fighting against principalities of, you know what I'm saying, outside of our realm, outside of under our understanding. But at the same time, you know, we're gene splicing things. Did you know they're really thinking about bringing a woolly, woolly mammoth back and taking the genes from a woolly mammoth that was in the, in the tundra, in the, in the cold, really deep for a long time, and they've dug them up, and they've found DNA, and they want to splice that with another creature like a, an elephant or something and really bring back a woolly mammoth? They're talking about this stuff. So could that how the, this stuff happens? I don't know, okay? I just know that this stuff happens. So four beasts come out of the sea. The first one is a lion, but has wings of an eagle. It is a lion-eagle thing with a human element <laughs> by standing up. It's a hybrid creature, and it's always an evil creature in revelation, and it's a mutation of what God intended. God intended the same you know, creatures to, to stay the same, right? You couldn't plow a field with a donkey and an ox together, could you? Not if you want straight lines, you know. You don't blend the, the seeds of two plants, do you? I mean, we've talked about grafting. That's a little different. But you can't take two seeds and, and put them in into one. You, you just don't do that. So anytime you see the blending of creatures, it is bad. So a lion eagle with human features, qualities of, of strength, of swiftness, rulers of their domain. And most scholars agree that this represents Babylon. Those who are much more intelligent than I am, they think that this represents Babylon. And there are four kings. And the first one is Babylon, maybe even specifically Nebuchadnezzar, an evil kingdom that is demonic, that persecutes, uh, persecutes and oppresses God's people. The second beast is a bear with three ribs coming out of its mouth. And it's not like they smoke meek and he's just eating fast, Okay. It's really weird, you know. It's unclear, it's odd, but we don't really know who it is. A bear is a, a powerful animal with a huge appetite. It arises and it devours a very evil kingdom. So the thought is it either represents Persians uh, or the combined Medo-Persian Empire. That's what scholars are saying. The third is the same story. We don't really know who it is. This one is a leopard. A leopard is fast and with wings. So, you know, some people say, well, this, this could have been Persia because they, they conquered rapidly, rapidly. But others say that this is Greece under Alexander the Great because by the age of 30, he pretty much dominated, didn't he? I mean, he went out, I mean, rapidly took over everything. Now, it's not essential for us to know exactly who they are, okay? But the whole point is the fourth beast. So it doesn't really matter what kingdoms are there. It's fun to talk about. Some people really get into this stuff. Um, how many of you are enjoying Revelation-type talk apocalyptic? You see what I'm saying? I mean, there, there's a, one or two people that just, they dive into this stuff. I had a friend that loves to talk about this stuff. And I can talk about it for a good 15, 20 minutes, and then I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm like, okay, I've, you know. But we, we go through the scriptures, so that's why we're talking about it here. The whole point here is the fourth beast. 
And now, I mean, it's the focal point of the passage. How do we know it's the focal point? Well, it's repeated. The description is longer, and it repeats itself. And it has to do with the horns, which which rest of the chapters 8 through 12 deal with. Two thoughts. This is either Greece or Rome. It could be the ten horns represent the ten kings after Alexander the Great, the eleventh horn being Antiochus the Epiphanes. He was a Greek ruler who conquered the homeland of the Jews. And in 167 to 164 B.C., for over three years, he stopped all sacrifices to God. He said no more of that religious silly stuff. He went into the Holy of Holies himself. That was a huge no-no. He sacrificed a pig, which is totally against anything that God's ever represented, on the altar of the Holy of Holies. Think about that for a second. How did God even allow that? I don't know. He allowed it. And the epiphanies is a self-proclaimed title. It means a manifestation of Zeus. So he's basically saying, I am God in human flesh. And this interpretation makes sense because of the description of him being boastful and and arrogant. Now, the second option of this is, is the beast being Rome. Uh, The reason uh, to argue the the fourth one is Rome is because the New Testament seems to be saying the beast in Revelation 13 seems to be Rome to some extent. And the New Testament as a whole, it shows Rome as being the oppressor. So you have four kingdoms, and then you have Jesus and his kingdom. The ten kings are the uh, ten uh, emperors of Rome in, in one point of view. In fact, we have difficulty deciding which one it is because with Greece, you had 10 kings after Alexander or Rome because you had 10 emperors. So you can see where there's confusion, where God hasn't revealed it to us straight, you know. But it's a good reminder for us that maybe we're not supposed to figure out all the details. Think about that for a second. We're not supposed to figure out all the details, right? When a child comes to you and says, well, you know, mom, dad, what, we're going to do this or that, you know, they want to know all the information. And as a parent, you go what? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. You don't need to know all the details. God is also saying that to us at some point. Don't worry about the end times. Just know that you're secure. If you believe in Jesus, it's good to kind of understand this stuff, but you don't have to know every little detail. Let the parent take care of it. Let God take care of it. That's a good point for us to to understand that these kingdoms are established and they appear to be in control, but that control is given over by God. They misuse that control and they persecute his people and the Lord will come and reestablish his kingdom and the saints, you and I, will will inherit it. That's a great thing, isn't it? Okay, let's try that again. That's a great thing, isn't it? Yes. Now, one of the main focal points of this vision is on who. Verse 13, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And just so you know, this happens uh, that the Son of Man is the title of, that Jesus loves to use in the Gospels. 
You read the Son of Man all the time. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the King of Israel. And he did so in a very openly way, very clear. The Jews would have killed him early. They, they really couldn't stand him, you know. But at any point, any title that could be used against him, this was it. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he heals, you know, he heals a man, and he, a man and he tells him, don't tell anybody. He gets the lame to start walking, and he says, don't tell anybody. But, you know, because the reality is that if he went out there too quickly, if he did all this stuff too quickly, then he would not have been doing the Father's will on the Father's timing. There was a perfect timing that went along with who he was. John chapter 6, Jesus just disappears from a crowd because they wanted to make him king before his time was to come, right? And he goes, no, 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 it's not time, and he disappears. But, you know, but this is one title that Jesus, you know, takes to because it describes exactly who he is. In fact, it's the title only used by Jesus, only said by him, except once. One of his accusers says... He said he is the son of man. So this title is used by Jesus, but the reason why they didn't kill him over this title is because it was also used by many of the Old Testament prophets. In Ezekiel, you know, he, that was a favorite title for himself. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, the Jewish leaders thought he was calling himself a prophet early on. And as a, as a prophet, they could tolerate him. Just don't say that you're the son of God. In other words, the real son, the one true son of God. But we know when he calls himself the son of man, uh, you know, it is this passage, this usage that he has in mind. Jesus didn't come to be a son of man like Ezekiel meant it. He meant it. He says, I am God's son. Verse 13, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and every man and language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. We see this in Matthew 26. He is at the trial before the high priest. And verse 62 says, Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on clouds of heaven. And do you know what happens next? <laughs> the high priest rips his garment and shouts blasphemy. He just goes crazy because Jesus proclaims himself as the Son of Man, which is the Son of God. He is the one that's going to come, and he's given all authority, all power, and, and, you know, all sovereignty. So this week, it got me thinking about, you know, and talking with the Lord, okay, Lord, this whole dream thing with Daniel, I, I don't get it. I can sort of teach it. I can take it this direction, but, but where do I go with this? 
you know, Lord, is, is this the sermon? How do I wrap this up? I, I don't want to be just like, okay, I learned some very odd things this Sunday at church. So, good. Have a nice day. I mean, what do we do with this? And this is where the Lord took me. He said to me, what is it about? Just tell him what about. You know, what's it about? And I said, well, God, that, that's easy. But I need something to, you know, something to wrap it up a little bit. He goes, no, 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 Alan. What is it about? I'm like, well, it's about you being in control. You're the sovereign judge sitting on your throne, and everything occurs, and you're in control. It's in your hands. And he goes, okay, Alan, but that's great. You understand. And then I start thinking, okay, here it comes. And he goes, do you believe it? Do you believe it? And I sat with that, and I'm like, yes, I believe it. But I also think sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I forget that he is in control of things. Sometimes I worry and I fret and I think about stuff that I shouldn't be worrying about, that I shouldn't be fretting about, that I shouldn't be thinking about. And, and, and we let the worries of this world just pile on, don't we? The struggles come onto our shoulders and all this stuff just overwhelms us. All this work that needs to be done. And then I remember, his kingdom is the one kingdom that will last forever. Because all this stuff will just pass away. We're the temple, not the buildings. He brings the temple to him. The whole world is going to pass away. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of a sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the question boils down to what kingdom are you living for? God's kingdom or the world's kingdom? Are we living as part of the world who is ruled by evil men, evil beasts, who ultimately persecute God's people? Do we lift them up? Do we laud them? And I mean, I mean, with politics, it's, you know, Christianity and politics, we got to say, oh, well, you can't do this if you believe in this, or you can't do that if you believe in that. You can't support that. And it's like we're lifting these people up. We're lauding these people up when, when we forget what? God is in control. God is in control. Are we living to support this world? Are we living to benefit the world that is to come? Mm. Or instead, are we living with the eyes on eternity, on the kingdom that has no end, that will be given to us? This is why I think that, you know, going overseas and going to, to uh, the Philippines and other places and, and, and even around here, the, the ministry we do with, with the uh, Care Pregnancy Center with the young ladies and, and all that kind of stuff, this is important work because you know what? I want to see my Filipino friends in the kingdom of heaven with me when I get there. That's why it's important. 
That's why we're collecting money. That's why we're, you know, we, we, we put our things toward God so we can do the things that are of God and not of this world. This is why we tithe, because God asks us to tithe. It's not about us. It's about him. This is why we serve, because this is about him and not about us. This is why we act certain ways when we're out in the world, because it's about God's glory, not about us. What happens when we don't live for God's glory? We live for man's glory. And then people look at us and go, hmm, yep, I see that right there. They say they're a Christian. Now, I'm not saying we don't mess up. I'm not saying that there won't be times when we sin and we fall back. But the thing is, do we get up and we go back toward God's kingdom? Because when we do, God is there to meet us, and he comes and wraps his arms around us and says, I love you. Welcome back. I'm glad you're here. Now let's start living for me. Let me help you in that. He doesn't just say, okay, good boy, slaps you on the back and says, go live for me. No, he says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you do that because I want you to change this world for my glory. My glory. We need to pray for the worries of our future, right? We need to be praying for the United States, especially this week of Thanksgiving. We thank God for what he's given us, but we need to, worry, I mean, we need to pray that God's glory will not get pushed down too much and let the world take control of everything. We are the salt, we are the light. We can't be the salt and the light if we hide ourselves, right? You know, everybody keeps telling me, you need to move out of California. Hey, Alan, you got to move back to Texas. Or, hey, Alan, you got to do it. And it's like, well, what happens if all the Christians leave California? Is there any salt in California? Is there any light in California? No. You live where God tells you to live. That's important. We live for God in the things we choose to say, the things we do, the things that we exemplify, how we act, all those things are important for the glory of God. Let us not forget that we're the salt and light of this world and that he is in control. Amen? Amen. Well, it'll be fun time in these next uh, few chapters after we get back at January uh, as we go through the book of Daniel. We're going to hit a Christmas series here uh, starting next Sunday. But, uh, you know, uh, it'll, it'll be an interesting time to go through it. And I think it's important for us to go through it. Why? Because God preserved it for all these years for us to read. We may not understand every word, and that's okay. We'll go through it. We'll say, God, tell me what you want to tell me. And then we'll move forward because it's all about God. So why don't we pray as the worship team comes up and sings one last song. Lord, uh, I could imagine Daniel, after all those years of serving you faithfully, having this dream and just <laughs> having an ashen face, just not understanding it, just almost being scared a little bit. Lord, this, this world is scary to us. The things that happen directly to us or our friends or our neighbors or to Christians that we don't even know. Satan is out there. He is truly out there trying to hurt your kingdom. I pray that we stand firm and we stand fast, that we decide in our hearts to follow you and you only. 
And that when we mess up, that we confess those sins and we come back to you. And that can you continue to use us to glorify your presence in this world until the very end when we get to go be with you and your kingdom takes over. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you this week. And may you feel the love of God as he is in control of your life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.